0: Let's go to the Bible. If you've found Mark chapter 9, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, we'll start in verse 14 and read down to verse 29. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Stands forever. You follow and immerse yourself into the story. When they came to the disciples they saw a great crowd around them scribes were arguing with them and immediately all the crowd when they saw him they were greatly amazed they ran up to him and greeted him he asked them what are you arguing what are you arguing about with him? They brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground, rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, it's been from childhood. He has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus saw the crowd came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse. So that most of them said, "He's, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Here's the epilogue. When He had entered the house, His disciples asked Him privately, Why could we not cast it out? He said to them, This kind, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Join me. We pray, Father in heaven, we pray in the name of Your Son Jesus and by His merits we come to You because of the perfect life, the atoning death, the victorious resurrection of Jesus. We pray in the Spirit, the Spirit that You've given us. So to You, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask for help. Lord, we need help. Father, I pray You would bring healing and hope and help and restoration. God, I pray You would bring forgiveness and a new joy. God, I pray that today the clouds would begin to dissipate, that once again, you would bring back the joy of our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Maybe seated. Thanksgiving is an unusual holiday. It's an unusually American holiday, it is an unusually Christian holiday. Thanksgiving, to actually give thanks, you've got to have somebody to give thanks to. And presumably from the very beginning that has been God. Thanksgiving is an unusual holiday, it falls in the middle of the week, happens on a Thursday every year which throws off if you like a routine, which I do, it upsets a weekly routine because that day is now going to mess up the entire week. A lot of you had Wednesday off, so if you have Wednesday off then you have Thursday off, you have Friday off, makes for this extra long weekend. It's a holiday where you have one day set aside for intentional overeating. Yeah. You brag about overeating, take pictures of your plate with food falling off and put it up. Look what I had. Oh, this day was so strange. I had Thanksgiving on Thursday, I had Wednesday, I didn't go to the office and Wednesday off, Thursday off. Friday, all day Friday, I thought it was Saturday. Thought I was a seven-day Adventist coming to church on Saturday. And when the holiday is over, we come off that joyful food mountain. When the holiday is over, and it is over, Saturday, Sunday, tomorrow's Monday. We come off of that joyful food mountain. We've got to go back to work and we gotta go back to school. Gotta go back to life. We've got to come off the mountain and go back into the valley. That's just what we see happening in this passage. To catch us up to speed, James and John, the sons of thunder, along with Peter, they went with Jesus up on a mountain. They've been on a mountaintop for some time. There on the mountaintop, they witnessed the glorious Jesus. He was revealed, this glorious revelation of the exalted Jesus, like they'd never seen him. In fact it even has a name, the transfiguration, which means nothing more than He's changed. That happened, once that is over, now they are coming back down the mountain. Where we pick up the story, they have finished their long walk down the mountain and now it is back to the grind. When you open it up, it I mean, they get right as they step off the mountain. There are arguments and crowds. There's accusers, there's scribes, there's demons. There's some hurt people standing there. There's a family in need. It's not unlike what many of you will be walking into tomorrow. You wouldn't choose the valley that you're in. But this is where you are. And I think this long story gives us some sobering hope on how to live joyfully in the valley. So if I could sum it up in one phrase, this is how I try to say it. Jesus is Lord, especially in the valley. He, he is Lord, yes. But Jesus is Lord, especially in the valley. I'll tell you what let's do. Let's do what we've been doing. Let's go back to this story and stay in it. I want to do that even more than usual because Mark has written this in a different way than Matthew and Luke. All three have it. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three have this story Mark, whose gospel is shorter than the others, he has decided to give the longest depiction of this story. The way he writes it is two times longer than Matthew and Luke. And my thought is, why? What has he given us here? He's committed so much detail and information. I'd like to walk through it, stay in it, then come back and... uh, make some application. Join me there. Verse 14. And when they came to the disciples, they, that's the four men, Jesus, the sons of thunder, James and John and Peter, they have come down the hill when they came to the other nine disciples. Nine disciples left down at the bottom of the mountain. With those nine disciples in verse 14, there's a great crowd that's shown up. They've heard Jesus is in town. They're gathering around because He's this great healer. When they come down they see not just the nine disciples but the crowd around with them and now the scribes. What are those scribes doing there? Scribes come out of Jerusalem. That's the legal minded men. Those are the ones that are going to make the accusations against Jesus and His followers. They are there gathering evidence. But they're not just there. Mark tells us, verse 14, when, they, when Jesus and the three come down, they see the nine disciples with a crowd around them arguing with the scribes. What are they fighting about? While Mark's describing that, verse 15 tells us, now the crowd, somebody sees that Jesus is back in town. And the text says that uh, immediately all of the crowd, when they saw him, they were greatly amazed. What were they amazed at is my question. Some people, um, some people think that because Jesus was transfigured, he comes down the mountain like what happened to Moses when he was on Mount Sinai. His face glowed and came down and people saw it. So now Jesus, they think he's glowing. Now they see him. They're like, oh, they're amazed. I think it's probably a stretch. You're, you're, you're putting too much into it. I think just the presence of Jesus amazes people. The crowd sees him. They run over there to him. They're greeting him. Jesus, who is who is always protecting his people, verse 16, he asked them. I think he's talking to the scribes. He asked, what are you, uh, what are you arguing with my people about? Verse 16. What are you arguing about with, with them? What's on your mind? While that begins to uh, come together, verse 17 tells us there's somebody else. The real story is in verse 17. Verse 17 Somebody from the crowd, we don't know his name, we just know that he's a man. He's got something he can't shake. Verse 17. Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher. Remember Peter called Jesus rabbi up on the hill. Teacher, I I brought my son to you, but you weren't here. I heard that you're a great healer. I brought my son to you. you. You weren't here. You see, he's got a demon. He's got a spirit. It's one that has has taken his ability to speak. It's been so long since I've just heard his voice. Not only that, it it takes a hold of him in some kind of way, like like he's got epilepsy. It throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and he tenses his muscles and becomes so stiff. So I brought him here for you. You weren't here. So I asked the disciples, I mean, they had power. Mark chapter 6, Jesus gave them authority over demons. They could do it. They came back from doing that and were rejoicing because they had authority over demons. Why couldn't they do it here? I asked the disciples to cast that demon out and They couldn't do it. Verse 19, the camera swings around right onto Jesus. He answers them, oh, faithless. What, What patience Jesus had with his disciples, what he has with us, but you can see his longing to be with the Father. Oh, faithless generation. How long am I going to be with you? How long? Bring the boy here. Verse 20. The demons will not be in the presence. They can't stand. it. They brought the boy to him, and when the spirit inside him, that demon inside that boy, when he saw Jesus... Immediately starts convulsing. What a vivid, what a vivid description! Immediately he's convulsing. He's, he falls on the ground. Verse twenty. He rolled around. He's foaming at the mouth. We know that his teeth are grinding. He's... And while this spectacle is going on, look at the compassion of Jesus. He looks over to the dad in verse twenty-one and says, "How long has this been happening?" How long have you had to carry this burden? Dad says I can't, I don't know exactly when. He reaches all the way back to when he could maybe walk since he's a since childhood. And and since childhood. It's often. You see the word often? It it happens, it happens without prediction. It happens when we don't see it. We can't take him anywhere. I can't go anywhere with him. I don't know when this is going to happen. It happens often, and often it might cast him into the fire so so his mom could be home cooking, and while she's cooking, that demon get all hold of him and just throw him right into the open fire. Or the waters. Is that word water of verse 22, Cast him in the fire and into water. In Greek it is it is it is plural, indicating that it's not just one place, but it, We can be walking along the Jordan River and the demon would cast him in the river or by by the shore of the Sea of Galilee would throw him in there or a pond. It doesn't matter. And when he goes in, I've got to go in after him. It's a terrible way to live. This has happened since his childhood. He can't speak. He can't hear. So the... The father's just at his wits end. And there, there in verse 22, the father says, but if you, if you, he's just trying to destroy him. That's what, that's what the devil does to s- steal, kill, and destroy, to, to devour. He's trying to hurt. So the father asked, if you can do anything, the disciples couldn't, your followers, they couldn't, but if you can, just please feel for us and, and, and help. The tone is important in verse 23. I don't think that it is a hard rebuke from Jesus. I do think it's a rebuke but I don't think it's a hard rebuke. I think it is a gentle rebuke to to bring his faith back if you can. And I don't think I don't think he was beating this man when he was down. I think he was lifting this man up if you can. Here's the lesson, all things are possible for those that believe. And that man's feeling it. You know, I mean, he tried to get the disciples. They shook his faith when they couldn't fix his son. And so what a great verse 24. What a great prayer. I do believe help my unbelief. I do have a measure of faith. I need you to give me more. That, that even faith is a gift from God. Verse 25 business picks up. The, the people are seeing that there's something about to happen. They've They've heard of the way Jesus heals. And so the crowd starts coming. Verse 25, Jesus is not interested in making a spectacle of people's problems. So when he sees the crowd coming in verse 25, he knows if they see, they're going to want to try to make him Messiah. So here's what he does, or at least try to make him king. He's already Messiah. Verse 25, Jesus saw the crowd come running together and he rebuked the spirit in a way that you'll never see him do it again. I I don't know why Jesus made this one so strong. Maybe the compassion he felt for this family. Look what he says verse 25. You mute and deaf spirit. He's talking to the demon now. You mute and deaf spirit. I command you, come out of him and don't ever come back. I mean, this is not the kind of rebuke you want to give. Get out of here. Don't ever come back. And Jesus has the power to seal it up. And so that's what he does. He seals it up. Never come back here. And and notice, uh, notice the phraseology, verse 26. After crying out, there's one last explosive and convulsing. Satan knows he has a limited time, and so the evil will become more and more intense. After crying out and convulsing, in verse 26, it came out, and the boy, like a cork, and the crowd there, I mean, you can hear him saying, I think he's, I mean, he's, I think he's dead. I think he killed him. He's dead. The how it's structured, verse 27, it, start, it, it ought to start, it ought to feel familiar, verse 27. You've heard this kind of step before. This is, this is how it sounded when Jairus' daughter was lifted. This is a foreshadowing. Jesus, this is what, this is what, if you're saved, this is what happened to you. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. It's a wonderful miracle. It's it's really remarkable. So much so that Mark stops it there, gives us an epilogue kind of after everything. You read the book, you get to the end of the book, and there's a little section that tells you, here's sort of the rest of the story. So verse 28 and 29 is sort of the rest of the story. After that, those events have happened, they go into somebody's house. We don't know who, it doesn't tell us. Mark gives us all this detail, and you can tell us whose house this is, 28. We don't know whose house it is, but they go off into a house, and they're in private, and Jesus now teaches them something in private. They ask him in verse 28, why couldn't we do it? You gave it to us back in chapter 6. Why couldn't we do it? Jesus says in verse 29, this kind. If there's an archangel, a ruling angel called Michael, if there's an archangel, it is reasonable to believe that there are demons that are even more evil than regular fallen angels. This seems to be, seems to be what Jesus is saying in verse 29, this kind. There are other kinds, but this kind. It cannot be driven out by evil anything except prayer. Okay, let's pause. Let's go back and see if we can maybe make some principal points, some principles out of this. A couple of things to consider. For 2023, 2024, here's the first one, number one. Number one, it is only going to get more confusing. The world that we live in, Is only going to get more confusing. Verses 14, 15, and 16, they come down off the mountain. It's a wonderful experience up on the mountain with Jesus. They come down into a melee. I mean look at the crowd. Just go through and look at the crowd who is there. You have the three that were with Jesus, Peter, James, and John. Along with them you have the nine disciples that are left. They're having the argument. You have the scribes that are making the accusation. You've got the crowd, the spectators that are watching. You have a father and presumably a mother in need. You have a child that can't speak or hear. You've got Satan and the demons whose only desire is to still kill and destroy. So if it's only going to get worse, what does that mean for us? I'll give you a couple of things I think, I think in response. You're going to have to find a way. Find a way. If you're not doing now, quit playing with, with your life. Find a way to get close to Christ. Quit pretending at Christianity, pretending that you're a part of the church and get close to Christ. Make it actually that you have confessed these things and you are living them out to the fullest degree. Here's another one. To trust the gospel. We, the, the gospel is not something you just raised your hand, walked the aisle, prayed to prayer. The gospel is this transformative event that happens to you. It's based on something Jesus did in time and history. His perfect life, His atoning death on the cross, His resurrection, and you trusting that. So saturate your heart and mind with the gospel. This year's coming up. We've got six more Sundays or so before the end of the year. And we need to make a plan. Make a plan for your own growth as a Christian this year. How are you going to work through the Bible? What are you going to use? What are the things you want to read? What do you want to interact with doctrinally and spiritually and theologically and biblically? Let's make you a plan for this year. One other thing. Get serious about your own sin. Your sin. Your sin. Keep looking over the fences of other people. Plenty of sin over there. But you've got enough of your own to deal with let get serious about what are the errors in your life that you are struggling with, that you keep tripping over, that you can't get mastery over, that have kept you from developing as a Christian, that have stunted your growth. Get serious about your own sin. Why? Because it's, going to get, it's only going to get worse. Let me take you a little deeper into this. Here's the second thing I think you'll find when you read this passage. It's, o- it's only going to get more evil. It's only going to get more evil. Verses 17 and 18, we are introduced to this boy who's possessed by a demon. Then you get to verse 20, 20 and 21 and 22. You have this description of what this demon has done to this child. And just a couple of things that I'm afraid we oftentimes do. We get in our mind that there is just something far off and mythological about Satan. We need to demythologize Satan need to demythologize. What I mean by that is it's not a myth that evil is a person. We have him described in the Bible. He's at war with humanity and at war with you. So that you might be aware we need to demythologize. I would add to that we need to be more discerning as a Christian. More discerning. Be careful. Be careful what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, what you allow into your mind and heart, the TikTok videos you look at, Instagram, the friends that you're with. We need to be more discerning. I'll say it another way. It's a virtue to have an open mind. I need, I I don't know how to say this more politically correct. We need to be less open. You need to have a less open mind. Open it wide to things that are, not of the Lord and not honoring to God and not good for your soul. We need to be more more aware of the imago Dei, the image of God. You need to be more aware of the image of God in you. To be aware that you were created by God and it's good that you were created in the image of God. You have dignity because of the image of God in you. That other people have dignity because of the image of God. Remember that the Bible teaches that as a Christian, your body is a temple. And I think about this story. This story is the story of Satan seeking to destroy a boy's body. I mean, he's affected bodily. Can't hear, can't speak, can't control himself. He's thrown into the fire, thrown into water. He's trying to, Satan is seeking to destroy his body. I can't press on this too far, except to say that any mutilation on the body, especially in the name of changing gender, it's got to be satanic. It is of the devil, because of the image of God and the body as a temple, the picture is of God's goodness, what He's given you. This this passage seems to say that that sort of intentional hurting. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your heart and mind and life. It's going to get continually bad. It's going to get continually evil. It's only going to get more evil. Let me show you something else. I need to move on from here. Let me give you another one. It's only going to get more broken. This, this whole passage is filled with broken people had come down the hill. Jesus, James, and John, and Peter had come down the hill. They meet the scribes. The scribes are broken in their legalism. They are trusting in their ability to keep the law. The scribes are broken. Verse 15, they're broken legalists. You get to the disciples that are left, the nine disciples they are broken because of their lack of faith. You get to the father and, and his wife. She's not mentioned, but there's obviously a mother. And the father said he, he's been like this since childhood. Oftentimes he's thrown into the fire, he's thrown into the water. i got to go in there and try to save him. We can't live our lives. But the little boy, who can, the boy can't hear, he can't speak, he can't communicate. He's tortured physically. All of this brokenness. We're, we live in a world that will only get increasingly broken. If that's the case, then we've got to hold on to the sufficiency, the sufficiency of the gospel. When I say sufficient, sufficient is that the gospel is the power of God. Now, what does the gospel do? The power of God to save. That's what Jesus says to the the man. You you said, if I can, if I can, all things are possible. That, That the gospel is sufficient to save you. The gospel is sufficient to restore you, the gospel is sufficient to forgive you. The gospel is sufficient to rebuild your life and mind and heart. The gospel is sufficient to heal, the gospel is sufficient to strengthen you, the gospel is sufficient to sustain you. The gospel is is sufficient to fill the, the void, to reconcile you to someone you've been estranged from. See, we live in a world that is going to get increasingly broken. It's broken by sin and Satan. We have the antidote, which is the gospel. Jesus comes with that which saves. And He is sufficient to save. I'll give you another consideration. All of this, all of this, it's all a test of faith. It's all a test of faith. That seems to be the problem in verses 18 and 19. When you drop, you're dropped into the story, the father says whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth, becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out. They were not able and Jesus, his exasperation in verse 19 is over their faith. You see? And how they responded affected the man's faith in Jesus. So he saw that the disciples couldn't save his boy and when he's talking to Jesus, if you can, because they sure couldn't. This is a reminder. Uh, How how we respond in the test of faith reflects on our King. How we respond in the tests of faith reflects on, on our King. But more importantly, more importantly, when you get down to verse 22 and 23, that's the, the interchange between Jesus and... It's one of the most uh, powerful and poignant interchanges in the whole New Testament. But between Jesus and a, and a man. I want you to just, just follow through in verse 22 and follow. The man is saying about his son, verse 22, it is often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him." But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, I think the tone is like this. If you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And then the father, verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. If you can. And what Jesus is saying to him, you you, you miss out. God has the power to do anything. Here's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is challenging the man's assumptions that his power might be inadequate or insufficient, if you can. Well, what do you mean, if? God has the power to do anything. Jesus is God incarnate. Look, brothers and sisters, it is not the amount of faith that's important. Please don't put that burden on someone if you just have enough faith. It's not the amount of faith, it is the object of faith. Faith, faith like a mustard seed, the Bible says, faith like a mustard seed moves mountains. Why? Not because the faith is strong but because the faith is in the Sovereign Lord. And so what does the man do? The man's response to Jesus in verse 24, it's one of my, one of my favorite, y'all to write the prayer down, it's one of my very favorite things. It's a statement and a request. It's at the same time, it's a statement, I do believe, I believe, get the right orthodoxy, I believe, I believe, also understand my weakness, help my unbelief. that ought to be your prayer. We should write that down somewhere. It's a recognition, the man saying, I am human, I am weak, I recognize that. But also recognize the power of God. I won't put a limit on what God can do. So what do I have so far? Let's let's see if we can find a way to get there. It's only going to get more confusing. It's only going to get more evil. It's only going to get more broken. Number four, it's all a test of faith. I'm going to give you a fifth thing. I think number five. It's all a setup for victory. Set up a victory. I wish I had said this after I went over this this morning. I thought, that sounds like a prosperity preacher. So nobody clip that off and say, look, at look, our preacher's a prosperity preacher. Let me show you what I mean. There's a miracle here. And let's just go through the miracle and watch it. And look at the wording in verses 25. Come with me down to verse 26. Verse 26. Ah, let's back up to 25. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. It's just what it said, just like it was with Jericho's daughter. It is nothing more than a miracle that gives us a foreshadowing that tells us in order to break Satan's power in a final irreversible sense, it demands the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Here is a good place for us just to the gospel. The perfect life The atoning death, the resurrection, and the way that becomes real for you, how do do you get that? Is you trust that Jesus died for you. That God raised him from the dead in your place, and you are given hope and forgiveness. You are given life because of that. It's all set up for victory. Let me close with one last one. A sixth point, because there is an epilogue here. There's an explanation while all this is here. It's in verse 28 and 29. I'll make it the sixth point. <clears throat> it is a reminder. This is here as a reminder. You are not praying enough. That's what this story is a reminder. That's what the whole thing is going down to verse 28. The epilogue gives us the entire lesson that that is taught, and the lesson is prayer. Verse 28. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, this kind, there's a special evil here, it's, it's evil. It cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What is prayer? What is prayer? Prayer is the full reliance, the full reliance on the unlimited power of God. The full reliance on the unlimited power of God through a couple of steps. What's the first one? The first one is believing that He is able. Not that you are a good enough prayer, but that He is able. That's where the faith is. You're believing He is able. And then once you believe He is able, then you go to ask. You actually ask God to do something. What if God only gave you those things that you ask for? Pray like that ask. So you believe, then you ask, and then you trust. You trust that a good and sovereign God will do all things well and He will work according to His perfect timing, His perfect will, and His perfect plan. You trust God. And then you accept. Believe, ask, trust, accept. Accept that you have been given all of the yes and amens in Christ that Christ is your portion, He is your hope, He is your strength, He is your joy, He is the holder of your future, He is the cleanser of your past, and you can start this week knowing that Jesus Christ is Lord, especially in the valley. With your heads bowed this morning you join me now as we go to the the Lord in a time of commitment and prayer. Just listen to a couple of questions before we sing. This morning you especially would like someone to pray with you, pray for you. We start the new week. When we sing, our pastors are right down front. Would love to pray with you. If you'd like to come forward, if you're comfortable with that, to pray through something you're dealing with. Now's a good time to do it. It's the Lord's Day. You're with God's people. It's a good time to do that. If you're not comfortable with that and you want to talk to one of our pastors after church, we'll all be in the lobby. It's a good time to come up and let's, let's just pray together. If this morning you've heard uh, the story of Jesus, the gospel, and it's resonated for the first time and something sparked in you and you want Christ, I'll invite you to come forward and we sing or, or talk to one of our pastors after church. Let's follow through with what it means. This is not an emotional event. This is This is a life-changing, what God does for you in Christ. We invite you to come forward or talk to one of us after church. Father, thank you for the story you've given us that gives us a renewed hope to trust that you are Lord in the valley. God, I pray for brothers and sisters that need strengthening today, that need renewed hope. I pray you would draw them to yourself, find us faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.